Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello there, and welcome to Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students, the 2014 edition. Dr. Ross Green here coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Live in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. And um, as you may know, we've changed the format of this program, at least the frequency. We do not do this weekly anymore, but instead monthly. And so it is an educator's panel program every program now. And um, we have added a new panel member. Uh, Susan, who works in a school in British Columbia, will be joining us today and henceforth. And um, it looks to me like we have all of our educators panel members on the line already. Well, not Tom, but um, I don't think we're going to have Tom today. Um, Susan, welcome to the program. Is that what I need to do? (laughs) Sorry, yes. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. Happy New Year. Same to you. Carol, same time zone. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, and I bet you're happy to have your friend Susan on the program with us, or, well, I hope you're happy. (laughs) Absolutely. One never knows about these things. And we also have Nina on, who is uh, here in the Eastern Time Zone along with me. Nina, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am good. I'm ready for the deep freeze that we are about to get. Is it is it cold in British Columbia, Carol and Susan? Well, I guess you could call it cold. It's about uh, only about, you know, two degrees Celsius, so about, you know, 35 today, but it's yeah. supposed to be more like, you know, 42 tomorrow. Uh-huh. That's cold for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's cold for you all. We were balmy today. We were, we were high 40s today uh, after being at around zero Fahrenheit uh, over the weekend, but we're going to get back to that again tonight, so that's what yep. Nana and I have to look forward to. Um, right. Here's what I here's what I thought we would yeah, um I will say the heat in my home doesn't work as well at 0 degrees as it does at 30 <laughs> degrees. Exactly. Um I went to bed with a hat on, a wool cap on <laughs> one of the nights over the weekend mostly just to be funny, but it wasn't that far fetched. Um it's it's cold out there. Um, I'm not sure how kids are doing standing at bus stops. A lot of the schools in Maine were actually closed today, but I think that was more because of ice than because of cold. What I thought we would do today is hear a little bit from Susan, um, who's been implementing the CPS model, now known as Collaborative and Proactive Solutions, in her building. I thought, Susan, maybe you could give us a little bit of uh, an idea of how you started where you all are at now, how it's going. I know that you have some exciting potential things going on at a community level as well. Tell us what you can tell us about what's going on. And by the way, we have been graced with the presence of Tom as well. Hi, everybody. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. 
Well, um, Tom, we are, we're joined by Susan today, who's our new educators panel member. She's out in the same time zone as Carol is, and she's going to tell us a little bit about how things are going in her building um, with implementing the model now known as Collaborative and Proactive Solutions. Go ahead, Susan. Okay. Um, well, about two years ago, Carol called me and wanted me to go and see you when you were in Powell River. Is that where it was, Carol? Oh, and yes. I was too scared to go on the little plane that she wanted to go on, <laughs> so I didn't. Instead, I read the book, and uh, we talked about it. And my our counselor at the time, um, for me anyways, was really big into this type of problem solving with kids. So that kind of got us started. And then I moved to a new school, and I bought the book for all staff members, uh, are my secretaries, my childcare workers, my everybody, support staff, everybody got the book over the summer, and it was their job to read it and for our August Pro-D. So during that August Pro-D, we put Lives in the Balance up on the big screen in the gym, and there were 62 of us in there with our books, and we talked about it, we watched your videos, we talked about how we could get that started in our school, who was interested, who wasn't, and we just had a really good discussion, and we had... It's amazing how many people wanted to talk about their own past, about where they had either grown up in uh, in a home that wasn't as functional as others and how they managed at school and how they didn't manage at school and how this would help or whatever. So it was a really, really good discussion. And that year we embarked with about two teachers that wanted to get started on it in the fall. And then by the time they had had some success with it, we struggled with the ALSEP a fair bit at the beginning. Uh, we had we were taking way too long. There was way too much hypothesizing and theorizing, and it was really hard to get away from that because that's what the teachers wanted to, to talk about. And um, But we had some success early on with a couple of teachers who really felt that it was working for them. And so it was the teachers who got other teachers involved. So now, going ahead two years, we have been doing this with about – I, I guess about between eight and twelve teachers throughout the year, and they are all very keen on it. The ones that are in it, and it's it's very common for someone to come in and talk with me about a child and say, "Should we do CPS?" And the answer is always yes. Let's get started on that. And we have done a really good job of the ALSEP now. We can get it done in fifty minutes which we're really happy with. But there are teachers who still want to talk, the new ones especially, coming into it. And I would think uh, what we've done lately is we have included this into our school plan. So we have done some data and evidence gathering with executive function, and we're going to cross sort of reference that with our CPS and how well we're doing with those kids that we've done the executive function assessment on. So that's really cool. And then just recently, I sent my childcare worker, who's very, very big into CPS, Ruth, and my integration support teacher, to the three-day intensive with Ross in, in Vancouver when he was here in November, early December. And they came back going, oh, my goodness, we're still not doing the ALSEP right. So it was good because they came back re-energized on what needed to get done and how we needed to do it. And they have just started another force. So in September of this year, so I'm going to backtrack, my counselor started a every Wednesday noon sort of group, and there are between eight and ten teachers that join that. And all we do is we get together and we talk about how it's working, what's not working, and just kind of 
talk about the kids that we're working with. So it's a really nice collaboration time for the teachers, and they don't feel that they're alone in it, and people throw out ideas, and, and we have the book with us, and we kind of go through, and it's, it's really fascinating. So what's happened now from this three-day intensive is my group that went, my two that went, have started this uh, kind of like an online group. It's, uh, I forget what we called it. Oh, CPS Across Borders. And so they took people's uh, email addresses that wanted to be involved and stay in contact. And I think there's about maybe 35 people on the list. And they just wrote out their first email before Christmas talking about how they, we've, we've gone back and just done a fine-tuning on our set Because we got out of the habit of doing them, people would kind of go, oh, I, I know where they're at in the set We don't really need to go through the whole thing. We'll just you know, hit the few that, that we believe these kids are on and what they need help with and um, the skills that they're lagging. So when Ruth and Roxanne came back, they went, no. Ross says you need to do the whole thing starting from the beginning and to the end. And so we've gone back to that now, which has been really good for us. And the other thing that came out of that was, and so we wrote about that in our first email. We had lots of responses coming back about, you know, thanks for keeping in touch. We'll tell you how we're doing. So that's kind of a nice thing that we've got going. The other great thing is in Surrey, our mayor decided, I guess in June of last year, that she was going to create a task force because we had, I forget how many murders in Surrey. Do you know, Carol? It uh, was? I think there were 26 this year. 26. And so, in the year 2013. Right. So she decided that she was going to create this task force on um, what we can do, specifically in Surrey, to help reduce the violence. And what we came up with is we wanted to get onto that task force to talk about how it's really important for us to reach the kids at the elementary school level using CPS so that they don't go down that road into where they are doing things they shouldn't be doing and get into that whole cycle of violence and um, just giving them those skills that they're lagging. And as luck would have it, at the seminar with, with Ross, one of the fellows who is on the task force was there. So he gave us his name and the name of two other people who were on the task force and said to please contact him because he's very, very interested in getting this going in Surrey. So we're really excited about that. We've already sent off one email, and uh, he has said that he'd like to get together. So that's what we're waiting to do, and we've already written a proposal and <laughs> on how we want to get this started in all the schools in Surrey and get a meeting with our mayor. So that's kind of where we're at. We're really excited about the prospects for us at our school as well as us in Surrey. So that's kind now of now you all know why Susan has been invited to be on the educators <laughs> panel. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so um, we're, we're pretty excited. And, and we'd love to post the correspondence for the CPS Across Borders group on the Lives in the Balance website. Mm-hmm. So if you keep us in the loop on those, we'll make sure that not just your group, well, if you want to, not just your group, but other people who are interested in doing something similar will uh, learn what you're doing and perhaps be inspired by what you're doing. Sure, you're you're part of our, our group, Ross. You're you're on our on our link. So, am I? Through. 
Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I don't think I've found it yet, either that or, like many things, it slipped by me. It might have, because it was called CPS Across Borders, and you probably didn't click with it. But you are on no. it. No. Well, we'll see. I'll look. Um, if I didn't okay. get it, I'll, I'll ask you again. And let um, me know. So that's, that's pretty exciting to think that something you're doing. And one of the things I wanted to point out, probably our other panel members noticed this, you started with two teachers. Yes. You now have 10 or 12. Yes. On many, many people who are starting this journey start by thinking, we're going to do this with everybody <laughs> all at once, <laughs> one fell swoop. And I think that although that's an admirable goal, seldom does it actually play out especially well. Um, mm-hmm. you're, so I would call what you're doing sort of kind of typical. You start small, you build from there, but look at the potential um, outgrowth of what you're doing. It's moving even beyond your school. That's pretty cool. It is very cool. I think uh, the best thing that we've done here is we've allowed our teachers to talk about it at staff meetings. So I will ask one or two who've had some real success with it to just say, hey, do you mind just you know, telling us a small story about what's happened with the CPS and how it's working with this student that you're working with? And teachers are really happy to talk about that. And so then, you, then that's how it built for us with other people going, wait a second, what is this again? And, oh, that's the book that Susan gave us. And so that's kind of how it, word of mouth through the teachers, not from me. Uh, and I'm very, very fortunate to have an amazing counselor. I am so fortunate um, because he's so involved. Right, Carol? Absolutely. I've worked with him. But, uh, yeah, he's amazing. Now. You know, mm-hmm. because it's, again, as Susan mentioned, it's not coming just top down from an administrator. It's, you know, someone who, and he has how many years of experience with children and counseling? I mean, probably for, I would say, going on 35 years of experience. Oh, easy. So he's got a lot of, of credibility from people to say, you know what, I've worked with kids with these types of concerns. I, I had this mindset, and I've learned and grown and changed, and I now can see even through all the things that I've done in my career that this is effective. And so mm-hmm. it, it's a lot easier for people to believe that taking the chance on something different is going to pay off for them. Mm-hmm. And we also, I forgot to add, we do uh, offer time within the school day to allow teachers to have meetings with students and to do their offsets. So we have, we're very lucky I bought time within the district. I know that sounds weird, but I was able to buy time through our inner city funds. So I have a person who works on staff who gives, I think it's, it's two full mornings a week to CPS. So what she does is if a teacher needs to be freed up to have those conversations, she goes into their classroom so it allows that teacher to come out and go into the counseling room or wherever they feel comfortable and have those conversations with their students. And also it's the time to do their all-sups. Because teachers, you know, they're really busy. They're busy after school. They're busy during the day. And I think I just believe it's important to give that time, even though we say that they should be able to do those conversations in 15 minutes our teachers um, here, again, I'm really lucky, they, they do make those great connections with kids, and uh, we are able to give them the time. So I'm happy to be able to do that for my teachers here. 
That is all wonderful. Um, yeah. Now, of course, we have people on the educators panel who have been down that route, all of you. I'm wondering about folks who listen to this program who are in a school that has not yet gotten the ball rolling or is just beginning to gear up for it. And, um, you know, this being the first program of January 2014, it's um, New Year's resolution time. Of course, at this point, it being January 6th, many of us have already, you know, abandoned our New Year's resolution. <laughs> only six days in. If, I'm wondering if each of the four of you might weigh in here. And then I've got a New Year's, then I'm going to ask you for your New Year's resolutions as well, specific to CPS. But if you had to give um, one kernel of wisdom to somebody who's listening to this program and is thinking to themselves, they work in a school and they're thinking, why can I not get my school to do this? Why can we not be as far along as they are? How did they do it? Each of you gets one piece of advice to give. What would it be? And let's start with Tom, who we have pulled off the ski slopes of Maine <laughs> to weigh in here. Lucky guy. I think, I think that um, it, it really does – there are really three types of change that go on in a public school. There's mandated change that comes from uh, a larger organizational structure, such as we will teach this type of program for reading math. Um, and even if there's a high level of buy-in, at the beginning, if it's mandated, it, it, it can lose certain steam. And then there's kind of a building-based change that occurs because of conversations within the building. But I think that the hardest change to get is, is uh, individual people to change their, their emotional structure or their, their mental structure to accept something that didn't that was incongruent with the paradigm that they believed in prior to doing this work. So that's a really fancy way of saying this. If you experience this and you get it, it gets in you and you want to do it more. If you're told to do it, you're less, you might do it while you're told to do it. So the more that you can build experiences for people to see other people being successful at it, try it and be successful themselves, the far more likely you are to get the people who aren't going to naturally just do this. Because typically in schools, the people who are really great teachers will teach really great regardless of the way that they're asked to teach. It's the ones that struggle that need support. And the support can come in two ways, a form of pressure or truly supporting the change process. That takes a lot of time for the administration and leadership. And that's something that we don't have a lot of. So uh, I would just say that, that, that that it, continuing to build experiences that allow people who are, are reticent or hesitant to see the success of people and to try it in baby steps, maybe solve a simple problem using this process, then a little more complicated problem. As they start to build internal combustion or momentum, they will be far more likely to share that uh, with others, and then the change is far more likely to be a permanent change. Kernel number one. <laughs> Nina, we're going to give you the second crack. Um, I always think that uh, looking back and and thinking about advice to give would be to 
um, you know, after the staff is a little aware of CPS to advise people to start with just kind of the second tier of challenging students. So the ones that you might be having a hard time in a certain area like circle time or morning meeting. So a problem that is just a little bit below the the you know the one percent of extremely challenging children, and then just quickly seeing that success, I think, gives confidence and also um, it gives staff a chance to sharpen their skills and have other staff view that and see the positive change. So I would, I think, some sometimes schools try to solve those really the most challenging right away, and then might feel a little bit frustrated when it doesn't automatically, um, you know, change the behavior right away. So that, I think that would be my area of it, of advice. Colonel number two. Carol? Uh, that's a very good question. I would think that if someone is wanting to implement the model but is kind of having trouble getting momentum, and I'm going to speak maybe from a, from a teacher or a staff member's point of view rather than an administrator's point of view for a moment, um, would be to, to connect. If you, if you can't find people to connect with um, within your building, is to, to find those connections outside, whether it's, um, you know, if you go to a workshop or a seminar and, like Susan did, co you know, collect some email addresses or, or make some connections with people who are also fired up to keep that flame going because it is easy to go back um, to your building, to your classroom, and, you know, have all the everyday um, business kind of douse your flame a little bit. So I think making those connections, uh, whether it's you know maybe going on the website, listening to our lovely programs, watching the videos, um, but trying to find some some other people in your field who are also on the same path and allow you know being supportive of each other that way. That network, I think, to me would be a key po point. Colonel number three. These are great colonels. Susan, you know you I uh, while well, all of those are great. I think um, for me to add to that, it would be to value teachers' time, to value what they do in the classroom, and allow them to understand that this is value added for them. So um, by valuing their time, giving them the time to actually test out the waters and see what it's like. We, at the beginning, um, we had, when we were doing an off-up on one child, we would free up two or three other teachers to be part of that also. So they just sat back and watched. So they could see that we made mistakes as we went through and that it was okay to make those mistakes and we were all learning at the same time. So I think it's giving people that opportunity to, to watch it in action. And I think that's what I like the most about what we do on the Wednesdays is they actually um, uh, audio tape some of the sessions that they have with students and the offsets, and they listen to them during that Wednesday noon hour time, and then they talk about what they could have done better, or and it's just non-threatening. And I think that would that would be it to have it in a non-threatening environment and allow people to come on board when they're ready. Colonel number four. Um. We did an interesting Issues in Children's Mental Health radio program today with uh, Dr. Amanda Nickerson, who um, is the director of a, I don't remember the exact name of it, but a bullying prevention uh, institute in upstate New York in Buffalo. 
And one of the things that we were talking about that gets in the way of focusing on students' social-emotional well-being is the fact that the vast majority of initiatives, Tom, you were talking earlier about mandated change, the vast majority of mandated things that come down the pike are about academics. How much does that make your jobs harder as it relates to getting teachers also focused on other staff, also focused on the social-emotional well-being of students and behaviorally challenging ones in particular? Anybody want to weigh in on that question? We're very fortunate in British Columbia that social and emotional learning has actually been included as one of the key curricular areas. Um, so we don't really have the same type of um, tug-of-war happening between the quote-unquote curricular subjects and um, you know, social-emotional learning. It's, it's accepted that, that is, it's not extra, it's just equal to the other um, subjects. So. Revolutionary. Yeah. Tom and Naya, I don't think you both are quite so fortunate. Um, I think, you know, at least at the elementary level here, it's definitely been a focus, and I'm not sure, probably not so much mandated, but I think that we have a really good balance, and that's really where the teachers, you know, they have that passion for focusing on the social-emotional and um, know that if you can't get you know, that really worked in and part of the, the children's day, then the academics aren't going to be successful. So I think at our school, at least, even, we're able to, ba to balance that um, and wish that more of the focus would be on that. But I think we're, able to, we're kind of able to take that um, ourselves and run with it. Tom, what do you so think? I, I think that... that I guess what I was trying to get at and what I said earlier, Ross, is, is, is this. Mandated change generally doesn't work. Academic, social and emotional, um, change works when there is a buy-in that occurs that has absolutely nothing to do with. So I, I've experienced where I've tried to facilitate school change by having a conversation with the staff the quote majority of the staff or the leadership team buys into what's going on and so we head in that direction and and the assumption the operating assumption is when the naysayers see it working they'll buy in doesn't really work that way i think that that i'm starting to really approach it from we have to figure out how to get the majority to buy in and then really work with the people who aren't buying in um in a more more uh, a more informed way, so I think that the the piece that was really important that I heard earlier was that piece about being able to buy time for two half days a week, mm. and that that time is critical. My first year here at Moore Street, we had uh, uh, many early release days that I used to support collaborative problem solving, and when those went away the next year, it was really hard to maintain the time to support everybody, and that's been a challenge. And I think that, that time is, is something that's very, you know, the three things that we need the most in education are time, training, and support. 
and they all cost a tremendous amount of money. And people, when they say that the problem with education isn't money, well, they're, they're certainly, I can understand why people might feel that's the perspective, but, but the reality is, is that, that those things cost money, and if you can't find money, you have to find another way to do it. Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed. I can't tell you how many grants that I have filled out to get money so that we can continue on with CPS. Or I know Carol and I filled one out the first year to get money just so that we could release people to go to the one-day seminar that Ross mm-hmm. gave. And it just yeah. seems like everything is such a fight. And when when you know it's so good for kids and so good for teachers and everything, um, it just it gets tiring when you have to fight all the time for what you believe is, is right. But you continue to do it because it's the best thing for the kids. Well, in that, so that, now, first, go ahead, that first year, Ross, I was able to send my whole staff to that one-day workshop, oh, right? Nice. Yeah, nice. Wow. I, I want to do that again now, you know? Yeah. Because it, it's, yeah. it's like, a, like I noticed that Nina sent 10 of her people to the, to the Lives in the Balance conference to give her building a boost, and I didn't think to do that. I thought that was brilliant, Nina. Oh, well, you know, yeah, you, you stayed back and helped. You you held the you know the model, so you held the held the line back at the building, and you got the people there to get them invested and get them moving forward. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was so inspiring for them. I think that is that's you know, but it does come down to money and time, and if when when and if we can find that, it does make such a difference to actually have the time, the training, and time to collaborate and talk to each other and get inspired. And and the group that went there carried that over, and you know, it continues to. Now it's my job to make sure they have time and the structures to be able to still get together and talk about it and, and become motivated because it can get lost in the shuffle if you don't make that time. So, Nina, are you actually are, are you doing a lot of CPS with students in your school? Yes. Yes, we have. We are continuing on, and you just see such a difference with implementing the model at, at the elementary school. We're a pre-K through third grade school. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Susan Nina actually has a designated room at this point. Oh, for, for CPS <laughs> to be done to and for it. <laughs> p- primarily yeah. not even emergently, but proactively. Nina, do you want to talk a little about your room? Sure. This this I know year you don't call it your room. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I've been looking forward to hearing about this, Ross. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, um, one thing about our school that's always been a challenge is space and, um, you know, feeling like a lack of resources for special education and for students. Um, we, we do have oh, 450 children and one special ed teacher. And so this year, kind of thinking ahead for budgeting of what we could do, um, we were able to create a space where we were able to divide up a classroom so that one one space, uh, kind of a half a room, turned into the problem-solving center. We call it the learning center. And one of our gifted ed techs who has been using the model for about two or three years and just has such a wonderful way with children, she stays in there. That's her, that's her space, and she works with all the children. So any, anyone, any teacher that feels like a child needs to access that space has to proactively meet with the learning center teacher to do an LSAP, create a plan, and um, the children can do problem solving with the teacher of the learning center or with the classroom teacher, and it's very individualized of what the children need, and it's just a very soothing environment, very proactive, and, um, you know, some children just need it for a little bit, some it's more long-term needing to 
to do what they need to do, but it can be a place where they have more individual like plans for academics as well to get to get what they need. And it's been very successful. It's really changed a, lo a lot of things for, for our counselor, for myself. It's had just such a benefit for children. And um, she's collecting a lot of data as well, which will be really nice to see at the end of the year. But we're, we were very fortunate to have this support to be able to make it happen. And I do not want it to end. We're going to keep this going because it's been such an asset for everybody. Well, I think well, you, would you agree, Nina, that, that you, you have uh, – uh, that there's, you and I have talked uh, with, with Ross sometimes about the, how closely linked academic success and emotional development are, that the frustration in academics boils over into other areas of the building. Have you noticed that as students are able to access that kind of proactive help that, that they um, are having less frustration like on the playground? Is there, I know it may just be kind of more like a, a vibe or a, a way that you've kind of observed the building culture over the last year, but it seems to me that there would be a strong correlation between social and emotional development and that academic support, you know, which I think, I, like, I, I really think, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I just feel like the two things are so intensely interlaced that we sometimes, we kind of sometimes examine one at the expense of the other, and I don't ever do that anymore. I like to really think about the whole picture. Oh, definitely. I think it, it changes a lot of different things. Just this one, having this one space has you know, got spiraled out to affect all different areas. And I think the real, the real you know, reason that we were able to come up with this is because of CPS, because we stopped kind of just spending a lot of time talking about things that we couldn't change as a school. I think we spent mm -hmm. a lot of time talking about, you know, well, we have no space, we have no resources, so, you know, we were feeling stuck. And then when you really realize that that was just stuff that we can't change and do anything about, we need to stop talking about it, and what can we do? You know, we were able to really problem solve and figure out what we could do for our school. So it's, it's kind of neat at that end, too, is that's really how we figured this out for what would work. So. Yeah, I think it's been it's been snowballed everywhere. That it's it's created privacy for for students as well, which was something that we, you know, we really didn't have before. Because right when you walked in the front entrance, all you know the kids were all right there. Kids that were having trouble or needed to problem solve or needed to have a certain plan. So this has also just been given giving privacy and just you know showing showing more for the parents as well that, you know, this is working in the community. So I'm just never letting my ed tech leave. She's, I've had to make her sign a contract that she's never allowed to go anywhere. Probably <laughs> <laughs> like you've got a That's future uh, teacher there. Nina. She's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, can I, make in, a difference. in keeping with the theme of the program, um, any New Year's resolutions that you all have for taking things even further in your buildings, wherever your building is at? Because all of you are at different points uh, in your buildings. Um, what's your New Year's resolution for the remainder of the school year for moving things even further? I know I'm I putting you all on the spot here. I can go first because oh, I, go my resolution is to write. Mm. to write more. I wrote that article recently, Ross, that I shared with you, and I want to do more writing because it doesn't, it not only helps, it helps me to crystallize my thoughts or, or to clarify them. And I found I got a lot of inspiration out of that, so I really, I'm going to keep writing articles. And people need to okay. know, you all are at this point the voice of experience 
the voices of experience. People need to know what you've done. Um, and, yeah, we have this program that helps people know what you've done, but there's certainly many other vehicles for making sure that that happens. I love that New Year's resolution. I hope you keep it. Who else <laughs> wants to tell us their New Year's resolution? Well, I think well, I, 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 I think – go ahead. No, go ahead. I I just want to make sure it, just what Susan had said earlier with the LSEP, I think that's one thing that can kind of get away from people because you do think that, oh, well, we already know this. So my resolution is to make sure that we continue and keep keep on with that and don't don't skip that step just because we feel like we – kind of have problems, you know, the, the plan B conversations are going really well and the plans are going really well that we don't skip over that. So, and just a reminder to my staff as well that that's such an important part of the process. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, know I thought it was interesting, Susan, you said the staff came back from the advanced training and says and said, uh, we're doing it all wrong. Ross says you got to do the whole thing. Um, yeah. Ross only says things when he notices that something's going badly. And then what yeah. I do with the model is I try to augment the model to fix things that I see going badly. And one of the things I have seen, just to go into a little bit of detail about Nina's resolution, is that sometimes people will um, cherry-pick lagging skills instead of being comprehensive about which skills the kid is lacking mm-hmm. uh, and try to prioritize lagging skills when, in fact, I don't think lagging skills can be prioritized. But the net effect of that is that it causes them to lose out on information about the kid that could be extremely valuable because they are limiting the discussion and limiting the info by cherry-picking up front. Mm -hmm. And I find that those are far less informative, far less rich, far less um, instructive discussions about a child. So I just want to make it clear, it's not because Ross is telling people to do it, it's because, boy, it sure does seem to go a lot better that way. Next resolution. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Susan. I I, I was just going to say our team has certainly found that here, that going back and making sure that they are starting at the top and going all the way through has made a huge difference. But our resolution here, I think, is a bit larger. We're in the process of... um, is of of writing this um, sort of program or what we'd like to do in Surrey. And so we're really hoping to get to be part of this task force. And that's kind of where the group of us, this this core four of us, are are gunning to get because we believe, and I hope that it stays strong, that the meetings every week are going really well, more people are joining in. So we think it's going really well here at the school level, and I think this is our time to jump because if we don't do it now, we might miss this opportunity, and there's nothing worse than a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, I also resolution. want to mention that it, it is. It, could, I, could I just say to you that one of the things I, I learned pretty late on in this process was the, the piece about um, I, I, this this term always makes me laugh, but you call it clumping. So if mm-hmm. you've got too many problems clumped together, that, that mm-hmm. pulling them apart and, and, and getting them to be all separate problems is really important because what that does is it gets people down to the point where they can actually choose one very specific circumstance mm-hmm. 
to solve the problem in, and that then hopefully the goal would be to, to, to build transference. Not very, very similar to the way we do word work. Students have problems mm -hmm. with these issues with words. Mm -hmm. We get very specific. We teach them the skill with one or two words, and then we transfer it to other words. I mean, these principles are completely embedded in the teacher's college reading and writing workshop or, or words their way. Or mm -hmm. It's really amazing to me the parallel between collaborative problem solving and re I'm sorry. <laughs> Ron, well, you've done that once already today. I'm, hey, I'm, I'm not doing okay, man. Two in one show, program. you know. You're, you're, you're doing well. Good. That's right. Yeah, no, no, I'm getting better, right? You keep in score. Uh, you are. I'm impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so no, but but, but the, the 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 correlation between responsive behavioral intervention and responsive instruction is just that's one of the things I need to write about. Yeah, no, they're they're very it. closely linked, and that we need to stop thinking about them as being separate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that sounds interesting. Carol. I think it, it, it's got to get down oh, to the ahead, moment, though, huh, Carol? Like where you're working on it right with the people. It, it's fun to talk about, but it's really hard to do really well in the moment when the kid's flipping out and you're trying to help them. Yeah. Right? Thank you know, you. to be. It's just. It's such a complex. Education is such a vastly complex topic. It's fascinating. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Carol, you're in a new building for you. Indeed. What's your resolution? I think my resolution is going to be to continue to build my core group. Um, I know that I've demonstrated the process, uh, you know, uh, with the, with the classroom teacher and with my childcare worker in the room. And um, I had a teacher ask me for a copy of the book to take home over the Christmas break. So I think I'm kind of it's kind of ripe. The moment is ripe with a new year um, to, to to continue to kind of bring that core group together so that we can make some plans. I would love to have the opportunity, like Susan did, to um, have summer professional development opportunity for whether it's the whole staff or, or a core group, some, some actual time to kind of see where everyone is uh, in, their, in their mindset and their, um, their thoughts about behavior and um, to, to build that core group to start moving forward in a, in a more um, kind of purposeful way. These sound like... These sound like doable resolutions. Well, you know, you've got to make them, you know, realistic so you don't abandon them for the year, Ross. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I've been resolved to lose the same 30 pounds for about the last 15 years. And, um, uh, it's not going that well. <laughs> Any last thoughts? We've got about two and a half minutes left. Um, we should do, we've done this a little bit, we should do an entire program on, Tom, that theme that is really resonating with you that is um, the overlap between current best practices in academics and what I would call current best practices in helping behaviorally challenging students because the overlap is tremendous. And I really sure. do hope yeah. that's something Absolutely. you write about. But that. That's a biggie. Um, we should make that our topic for next month's program. Sure, that'd be that's great. great. That'd be really great. Hey, Ross, before we I go, I, I noticed that you mentioned yep. that you're having some trouble losing weight. What's up with that? I can answer Sorry. that question in one word, Tom. Food? Bread. 
not 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 bread like as a musician bread like money. You're saying like bread like like you know the, the I'm, stuff I'm that talking, rises in the oven. I'm talking. That's right. I'm talking red, bread like the warm butter melts right on top of it. All right, I'm writing that, that onto my alts up here. We're going to solve this problem, Rob. <laughs> okay. um, I'm, I'm right open. Let's, let's do it. Always let's do it collaboratively and proactively. Because um, if if we can solve that one, then my stomach would no longer be in the shape of a loaf of bread, which is its current stand. All right. Well, Nina can um, chime in because Nina's good at this one, so she's going to help us, right, Nina? Oh, sure. All right. You could just you know think that, look a little deeper, and know that's not a problem, and just give up that resolution and. Work on something else. That is not a problem. Ooh, heavy. Whoa. Nina. There you go. <laughs> That's what I do in my moved on to more realistic resolutions. There you go. Um, by the way, one last point before we go. Uh, I'm not happy that this program is only once a month. I would like to start a teacher's panel. And you all have teachers in your buildings who I think would be perfect for it. Email me and let me know who they are, and we will start a teacher's panel on the second Monday of every month. Sound good? Great. Sounds great. Good. Thanks, Educators Thank Channel. you very much. Always Thank a pleasure. you. Thank you. Happy New Year. Talk to you next Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.